Once again, I uh, just want to welcome everyone who's joining us online. Uh, we regularly have uh, friends and family visiting us from Australia and South Africa. So God bless you. Uh, wherever you're joining us from today, whether it's uh, local, national or international, just uh, welcome. Welcome to Elam Christian Centre Blenheim. If you're new to our online feed, my name's Tom and that amazing lady that was helping me and covering up my mistakes during the chocolate was my incredible wife, Suzanne. <coughs> who's had to apologize for me for nearly 33 years. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, Doug, I'm just a little bit on boom here. I'm probably going to get pretty excited while I preach this morning because there's people in the house. It's so nice to actually have some faces to talk to. You, you don't get a lot of response out of a camera, eh? <laughs> and when the worship team were here, we got them all to sit right at the back so that we were looking at the back, so we're looking at the camera as well, but they all sat there so quiet. <laughs> Mind you, probably had to. Hey, this message that I'm going to bring this morning <clears throat> has actually been brewing in my spirit for quite a number of weeks, and uh, I just want to give you a little bit of background on it so that um, it just kind of really sets a, a picture and a framework. Um, <clears throat> we're all fully aware of what's been going on around the world. And everything, and uh, the stuff that's been, go- we are the, 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 you're either this side or that side, or you have no opinion, and if you have no opinion, then you don't fit on that side or the other side, and ugh. And it's just, it's been crazy. But I've had this growing disquiet in my spirit for quite a while now. And it's all around what I've been observing happening in people's lives over this whole period. From, I mean, it's, of course, it all started last year with, with COVID lockdown, lockdown 1.0. But it's just continued on, and I have watched people of all ages, from children, young children, right through to senior adults, losing their hope on so many different levels. It's just been, it's been disturbing, actually, how quickly and how easily people are losing hope. <clears throat> now, let's be real, there is not one person on earth whose hope will not be challenged at some point. There is not one person on earth who won't have their dreams or their desires uh, and attempt to destroy those. You know, no one, no one is exempt from that. In actual fact, that's exactly the core principle of the devil. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And most people just stop at that and they go, Oh, well, see, told you. But actually, we need to read the whole message because even when the enemy of our soul attacks, there is hope. Because Jesus immediately counters in the second half of that verse, but I have come. I mean, that alone, that alone should be enough. But I have come. The ruler of the heavens and the earth, he says, I'm here. But he doesn't stop there. He says, but I have come that you may have life and that more abundantly. I mean, that, the second half of John chapter 10, verse 10, we should feed on that every single day. This, this whole disquiet that I just described before <clears throat> came to a head for me about three weeks ago. We were having our Wednesday morning prayer meeting here, and uh, right at that particular moment, we were praying for all the students from our school. Um, and particularly our older ones who are about to go into their prelim exams and all that sort of stuff, but for all the students in the school. 
And right at that moment, as we were praying, I ended up on my knees just about sobbing because all of a sudden, just incredible clarity in my spirit came. And I had a, like, it wasn't a vision, but I had this incredible impression. I was like, ah, it was like a knowing that came into my spirit. And this is what I saw as I was praying, that there was a, there were a, there was a double layer of a demonic atmosphere brooding, not just over the students in our school, but over, not just over our nation, but over the world. And that double layer, that double demonic layer was this. It was a first layer was a layer of hopelessness, and the second layer was a layer of futurelessness. And that really, really exploded in my spirit, particularly as we were praying for students, the students. Because if there's one thing that I've encountered with, with children, teens, and young adults right now is like, the, what's the point? There is no future. I could go and I could study seven years or I could study 10 years, whatever, and get a doctorate, but it doesn't mean I'm going to get a job. There is no hope. There is no future. And I've encountered young people after young people after young people who have just gone, they, I, I don't know what I'm going to do because what is there to do? Uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've encountered children right down into preteens who have just had such difficulty with being able to face the day. And it just, it rattled me. Anyway, out of that, I, I uh, spoke to uh, Dave, our principal, and, and Julian, the assistant principal of our senior school, asked for them if I could have permission to go and speak to all our year 11 students. And so I went and spent some time with the year 11 students, and I taught them about the authority that each of them have in the name of Jesus to deal with with these demonic atmospheres, to deal with these demonic lies of hopelessness and futurelessness. And what I taught them, I said, how do you do this? You do it exactly the same way as Jesus himself did it. Covered in three words, it is written. When Jesus himself was tested in the desert by the devil himself, he just turned around, he said, it is written. It is written. It is written, and he just quoted the very unchangeable, all-powerful, completely, don't argue with it, God wrote the book, Word of God. And the devil couldn't, he couldn't refute it. In actual fact, the translation, one translation of the Bible says he went and waited for another opportunity, because he doesn't give up, we all know that. And so, because I was speaking to the lives of the students about the, this, this, this double layer of demonic oppression, uh, hopelessness and futurelessness, I said, this is what is written. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5a, the first part of verse 5, says, The Lord gave me this message. This is to Jeremiah. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. That's hope and future right there. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Right there. Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. There's hope right there. No one is alone. No one needs to be lonely if they know Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. Psalm 139, verses 5 and 6. You go before me and you follow me, and you place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I mean, 
Jesus was right there with the psalmist. God was right there. Verse, same Psalm 139, verses 16 through 18. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every day. That means there's a future. That means there's a hope. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God's got a plan. God's got a future. God's got a hope. Verse 17, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He says that more than once in the Word of God. And then perhaps one of my all-time favorite verses in the Bible. I could preach for a month on this verse alone. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. You unpack that and it means God didn't have one of you, so he made one of you. And you are a one of a kind, handcrafted, never to be repeated masterpiece of priceless value. The Passion Translation of the Bible says that you are a poem written by God. And that's just the first half of the verse. The rest goes on. It says, He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. A future and a hope. I was telling the students, and I'm telling you today, if you are here right now, if you are alive and breathing and I've seen far too movement to think we've got dead bodies in the house this morning. If we have, we're going to pray for you and raise the dead. I've tried that several times. It hasn't worked yet. And I'm not too sure who's going to be more surprised, me or them. <laughs> but if you are here now, it's part of God's plan. If you are alive and breathing here now, that's because God wanted you here now. You are here now because God has a purpose for you now. You have a now purpose. You have a now a future purpose. And all of it is wrapped in the hope of God. And so I put this to them. So what do we do? How do, what do we do this? How do we face these trying times? How do we face the uncertainty? And I'll tell you what, King David has got the answer for us. In Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14, it says this, I would have lost heart unless I had believed. Unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. I would have lost heart unless I had believed. When Suzanne and I were praying uh, about us stepping up and uh, accepting the role, the appointment here to be the, the pastors of this church, I had some very good friends say to me, if nothing else, you ask God, you ask God for something out of his word. Because at some point, that's all you will have left. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that sounds pretty serious. You know, I was just a young fellow, I was 36, 35 at the time. And, um, and so I did, I went before God. And I prayed and I asked him and he gave me a verse, bang, that is, was so clear there was no argument. There was no argument. I, we had prayed 
and fasted. I didn't fast for a whole month, but we had fasted. And I prayed and prayed and prayed, and we'd had prophetic words and everything. And some of you might know this story, but I'm going to tell it again anyway, because it's a goodie. Um, One morning I got up really early. It was the middle of summer, and I went and sat on the hearth in front of the fireplace. I have no idea why I did that. I don't know, maybe there was this kind of subconscious thought that there's comfort in front of the fire. I don't know. (laughs) But I sat on the hearth. It was about 5.30 in the morning, and I I just lifted my hands, and I said, God, I just forgive me. There's a father in the Bible that, that said to you, Jesus, he said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Lord, I believe everything that you've sent our way, but help me in my unbelief. <laughs> and this, I said, I, this, I said, if I may, I don't want anything I have to decipher. I don't want to have to go through spiritual gymnastics. Can you just give me a yes or a no? And this is what I asked God. I know these people because they've been in the church for many, many years. I said, I know these people. They know me. Am I supposed to be their shepherd? And no, like a nanosecond after I finished that last word, that word shepherd, John chapter 10, verse 14, just exploded so loud in my head. And I I don't even need a whole hand to tell you how many times that's happened in my life. And it was so loud, I thought, oh, I better look that up. Now, remember, I asked, Lord, I know these people. They know me. Am I supposed to be their shepherd? John chapter 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd, I know my people and they know me, I know my sheep and they know me, and I just, I closed my Bible, I put my hands in the air and I went, okay. (laughs) There is no arguing with the written word of God, unless I had believed, and I'll tell you right now, there's been times when that's all I had left, but I believe what God sent me. We've been given so many promises, and you know what, we sell ourselves short And we disallow God to move on our behalf when we do not believe. Now, that was a very long introduction for where we're going today. But my prayer is that this morning, as I speak this truth over you, both on site and online, that Romans chapter 12, verse 2 will take place, that you would be transformed by the renewing of your minds through the Word of God. So for those taking notes, my message this morning is called YET, Y-E-T. Stands for yes, even today. There is life, there is hope, and there is purpose. Let's pray. Father God. Lord, I I don't ever, don't ever want to get to the place where I stand and argue with you about your Word. But Lord, I'm asking that you would take your word today afresh and not just infuse our beings with it, but plant it in our beings. Your word says that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Your word says that we are washed in your word. Lord, I pray that as you are washing us in your word today, it would get in. That we wouldn't just get into your word, but your word would get into us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that, that I don't get in the way of your word this morning. Come, Spirit of the living God, do what only you can do today, we pray in Jesus' name. We give you absolute permission to take our lives and change our lives for the glory of our God and our Father in heaven. Amen. Jesus told his early followers that when they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit, that they would be 
Luke chapter 24, verse 49 says this, clothed with power from on high. That sounds like something that would shake the world, eh? When the Spirit of God comes, and wherever the Spirit of God goes, He changes people. He gives them power to preach boldly. He gives them the ability through the Spirit of God to heal the sick and even raise the dead. Yet, yet, hundreds of years before the Holy Spirit actually was poured out on the day of Pentecost, the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel was given a bit of a preview on how God was going to do this. And uh, I don't know if you've... Uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you've, how you read the Bible, whether you just kind of sit there and read it in word form. When I read the Bible, I sit there and I read it in a multi-screen cineplex form. I put myself into the story. I try and imagine what it would look like. And Ezekiel will blow your mind. <laughs> Ezekiel is, is on the river, by the side of the river, and he comes into this preview from God, which is both multidimensional and multi-sensory. It included a stormy wind, a cloud that glowed with fire, flashes of lightning, and strange four-faced beings called cherubim that were empowered by the very Spirit of God, flying in like an atomic pattern around the throne of God, six wings. Just like, I'm just thinking, this would be a blockbuster movie. Marvel, eat your heart out. It was the 25th year of their captivity in Babylonia. And Ezekiel saw this revelation, and in this vision and in this revelation, in this multidimensional, multi-sensory preview, and when I say multidimensional, he wasn't just sitting on the side of the river watching this. It said the Spirit of God took hold of him and literally picked him up and launched him back into Israel to where the city of Jerusalem would be or was in ruins, but he didn't, he, whilst he saw the ruins, what he saw was what Jerusalem was going to look like. And in that moment, God revealed to Ezekiel a nature and a name. He described their future home, Jerusalem, saying, the name of the city from that time on, because it was a prophetic vision that Jerusalem would be rebuilt, the name of that city from that time on is or will be, the Lord is there. The Lord is there. Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. This promise is, this promise is so exciting for us today. Because it, it, what it showed, that it didn't, the Scriptures... Ezekiel doesn't have the New Testament, but we do. So we have this amazing opportunity to read the book from beginning to end. It's phenomenal. If you've never done it, it'll change your life. So in the Old Testament, God says, in this city, my name is Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Let's leap forward into the New Testament, and we now have God on earth in the form of Jesus, and His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. So in the Old Testament, God says, I'll be there. In the New Testament, He says, I'll be with you. That's Matthew 1.23. It means 
that at all times, in all places, under all circumstances, for all of us, He is available and present. That was a really good amen moment. (laughs) At all times, in all places, under all circumstances, for all of us, He's available and present. Even the psalmist, even the psalmist knew this. Psalm 139 verse 7 says this, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Jehovah Shammah and Emmanuel, all combined. What God was showing both Ezekiel and the psalmist was the miracle of Pentecost. That, when, that God would be there and that he would clothe his people with, from, with power on, from on high. And you know, on that day, on that day when... The day of Pentecost, when you know, Jesus had died, he'd risen again, he descended to heaven, he said, wait for me. The Father's going to send the helper. Holy Spirit comes. On that day, I mean, Ezekiel saw, he had a stormy wind, there was a fiery cloud, bolts of lightning, and, and crazy creatures. On that day, I mean, get this. <laughs> They're in this room, and all of a sudden they hear a storm-like wind. And I wonder how many of them went, is this what Ezekiel thought? And then all of a sudden they look around the room and it's like they could see tongues of fire, flames sitting on top of each person's head. Now, it wasn't real fire because they'd all needed a haircut, but, you know, it, but it, was, it was like the very presence of God was manifesting in a flame. But it didn't stop there. There was such a sound emitted throughout the whole city that it made dads drop, drop their tools, grab their wives and, grab wives, wife in one hand, grab their children with the other hand, and they all walked out and they all went to the same place. How's that? The entire city all showed up at the same place at the same time. How does that happen? We can't even get the whole city to show up at church at 9.30. But if God decided to bring a wind and tongues of fire and the right sound, Don't show up early. You ain't going to get no seat. And in that moment, those disciples in that upper room were infused with an untamable, powerful presence of the living God. A strength to withstand all manner of difficulties. And when I say all manner of difficulties, the strength to withstand torture. The strength to withstand shipwrecks. The strength to withstand being crucified upside down. I I believe that's what happened to the Apostle Peter. They were going to crucify him, but he did not want to be crucified in the same manner of his Lord and Savior. So he said, do it upside down. The truth to be set on fire. The truth to be, the, 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 the courage and the strength to be fed to the lions. Unusual courage. Fierce courage. The uncanny boldness and the unusual ability to see into the invisible realm of God's mysteries. To see miracles like never seen by many before. That would have been a chaotic day. Would have been pretty exciting though. And too often, the church has allowed, Christians have allowed, believers have allowed, the disorder and the chaos of the world to infiltrate their souls and their spirits. Dominating their minds and challenging their beliefs. Now, God is not the author of confusion, but God can speak into confusion. In actual fact, when you read the very beginning of the Bible, it says before the earth became what it is, 
it's like the Holy Spirit was hovering over darkness and what essentially could have been pre-creation chaos. It was like the Holy Spirit was holding it all. And then God spoke. Light came in. Land came in. Order and life and systems came into being when God spoke. Hang on a minute. There's a commonality there right there. If you are right now encased in chaos, if you are right now encased in darkness, let God speak into your life so you can say, it is written. Why do we... Uh, I'm going to ask it. I'm going to ask this. Why do we fight so desperately to control how God will lead us when His plans are only perfect, they're for good, they're for a future, and they're filled with hope. Why do we fight so hard to keep control? I, I fear that in some cases we've begged the wilder nature of God to just tone it down a little bit. We've kind of said, God, could you just tone it down? You're a bit embarrassing. I've had people say that to me. I've literally, years and years ago when I was leading worship, uh, Petra, uh, one of my my Christian rock bands I used to love, um, uh, did a song called Take Me Past the Outer Courts and To the Holy Place. And um, take me, basically, it was all about just calling, call, being called into the fire and deeper into the presence of God. I had someone come up to me and go, why would you make us sing that song? And I was like, what? Why would you make us sing, take me deeper, Lord? And I said, well, don't, do you not want to? No. I'm quite happy with my life. Thank you very much. It felt like having an altar call right there at that moment. Are you even saved? <laughs> Sorry, that might be a little bit <laughs> in your face. I don't know. But I was like, really? You, 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 you've had enough of God. Okay. Enjoy your mediocre life. I fear that in some cases we just beg the Holy Spirit to tone it down and even stay away so that we can maintain control over our safe life or, dare I say it, our safe church. We don't want His unexpected interruptions. I tell you what, I do. I have held a dream in my heart for years. In actual fact, I could take you to where in this church I believe it's going to happen because it's been a reoccurring dream that I've had that at some point during the worship in one of our services, the, the atmosphere is going to be absolutely torn apart with someone screaming at the top of their lungs in worship. And what's happened is they are going to be absolutely supernaturally Humanly, impossibly healed and set free by the very manifest presence of the Spirit of God. I could take you to the seat in this auditorium where I believe it's going to happen. Haven't seen it yet? Can't wait. <laughs> That's going to be a little bit chaotic. You know what? If we're, if we're honest, we have to admit that the church today does not really resemble the powerful church of the first century where believers bravely preached the gospel, worked miracles, and they even gave their lives as martyrs for the glory of God. Yet, yes, even today, the promise remains for us. Any Christian daring enough to seek God first, to invite His Holy Spirit to empower them, can experience all the manifestations of the power that operated in the early church. Why? Because He is Jehovah Shammah. 
the Lord is there. Perhaps you're worn out. Perhaps the fight's just been too hard. Let's be real. Sometimes it does feel like that. And maybe, maybe you feel like your fire's gone out. But you see, guess what? Jehovah is not Jehovah, just Jehovah Shema. He is also Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who will prevail for you. Because the battle's not yours, the battle's God's. The Apostle Paul, I mean, when he said, I can do all things through God who strengthens me, you know why he could say that? <laughs> because he'd beaten, he'd been beaten with an inch of his life more than once. He'd been shipwrecked, he'd been thrown off cliffs, he'd, he'd been stoned, not this way, but he'd had rocks hurled at him until he was nearly buried. He'd been scourged, he'd been whipped, he'd been starved, he'd been imprisoned. He'd been bitten by a viper. He knew Jehovah Nissi, the Lord who will prevail. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 10. When I am weak, then I am strong. There are three reasons our fire goes out. The first one is neglect. Any fire, any fire, even your fire in your lounge, in your, in your, in your wood burner. If you neglect it, it's going to go out. Same in the Holy Spirit, same in your work and your walk with God. We get so busy neglecting God because we're attending to our own personal interests. This is one of the key reasons that people in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, went into captivity because they were too busy neglecting God and giving focus to their own things. In actual fact, in the time of Ezekiel, a whole group of, them, a whole group of exiles went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. That was their mission, rebuild the temple, sent by God, empowered and financed by a heathen king, King Cyrus. It was quite, it's quite a fascinating story. But they got so preoccupied with building their own lives. In actual fact, the word says they were building their own houses. But it wasn't just their own houses. They were marrying, having children. They were intermarrying with foreign tribes, starting to worship foreign gods. They got so busy, preoccupied with their own lives, that God sent the prophets to challenge their priorities and call them back to repentance. Today, if you want the fire of God alive and burning within you, then you've got to seek Him first. Scriptures say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things. Second reason the fire goes out is because we worship false gods. Can I say that in church? You might sit there and go, hang on a minute, I do not. Don't call me an idol worshiper. I'm not going to, but I want you to run a systems check on yourself. Sadly, many do it without realizing it. One of the main sins of God's people in the Old Testament was because they worshipped anything other than God. Every time we exalt anything, people, gifts, programs, activities, whether they are recreational or vocational, anything that we promote over the name of God and we put in a place of more importance than God, guess what? It's an idol. And without check, it will become a false god. God does not share His glory. When we place anything into a glorifying position above God, we must repent and praise the name of the only one who deserves it. The third reason fires go out, because sometimes we offer sacrifices for the wrong reason. One of the best examples of this is King Saul in the Old Testament they're about to go to battle against the Philistines, and Samuel, the priest, the high priest of the time, had not showed up when he 
when he was going to, King Saul saw all his army starting to desert and dissipate because they saw the Philistines and they grew afraid. And so King Saul offered a sacrifice he was not authorized to offer and he offered it for the wrong reason. He offered it because he was afraid. And because of that, he lost the fire of God. He lost his anointing and he lost his kingship. Many times we decide, and I've, this, I, this is my story, I've tried to push doors, I've tried to make things happen when it was outside of God's time and it all turned to custard. Many times we decide that we can't wait any longer. God has not appeared according to my timetable. But God, you said, and it should happen now. God said, yes, I did say it would happen, but I didn't say when. Therefore, we move on and we move out of the will of God. Fear and unbelief are enemies of true worship and they will extinguish your fire. We have to be diligent not to neglect the fire. We have to be diligent to make sure that we only worship the one true God and He is above everything. It doesn't mean we can't enjoy those other things. It's just they don't take his place. And we must be diligent not to be ruled by fear and unbelief, by hopelessness and futurelessness. As humans, we get exhausted and we get discouraged because we keep fighting in our own strength. We engage, is, is this, from, is what I'm about to read, I want to see, is this familiar to anyone else? We engage in fruitless cycles of repentance, resolution, struggle, defeat, discouragement, and then we repent again. <laughs> say that again. Yes, I did say it very quickly. We come to a place where we repent and we go, yes, I feel great. And we make this resolution, yes. And then life happens and we start to struggle. And then we feel like we've been defeated and then we get discouraged and then we do dumb things. Oh, and then we repent again. And we make this resolution and then life happens and we start to struggle and then we feel defeated and then we do dumb things and then we repent again. And then we make this resolution and life happens and we struggle and we feel defeated and then we do dumb things and then we repent again. The circle of life. Uh, wrong movie. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, am, I, am I the only one? Is anyone else, can, can anyone else identify with that? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. <sighs> you know, the only spiritual conflict that ever successfully is one is one where God fights for us. Now, you might go, whoa, 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 wait, I, 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 am I not supposed to fight too? Yes, but we fight the wrong battle. You see, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says this, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you. You see, ours is not a battle of exhausting effort. Ours is a battle of belief. It's a battle of believing. But then you go, hey, wait a minute, aren't I supposed to wrestle? Jacob wrestled. Jacob wrestled and he got blessed. Well, guess what? Jacob did not win by wrestling with God. He actually won because he became rendered too weak to fight. If you read the story, he basically ended up with a dislocated hip and he could no longer stand and he was hanging on for dear life. You know why Jacob won? Because he surrendered. He surrendered to God. So contrary to human thinking, isn't it? Jacob won because he submitted to the only one who could win that battle. It's contrary to our thinking. But in surrendering to God, and when I say surrendering, I mean everything. 
that include our whole lives. We sense His presence, Jehovah Shema, He is there. We sense a breakthrough and strength coming into ourselves, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who will prevail for you. But then what comes next is the next nature of God, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord, my peace. God revealed his nature in this manner to Gideon when, when God assigned him to lead the Israelites and to wipe out the Midianites. <laughs> I, love, I, I love Gideon's response. He's like, what? <laughs> no, he didn't actually say that. This is what he said. He said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. It's like, really, God? You got that wrong. But this is how the Lord responded in Judges chapter 6, verses 16 and 23. I will be with you, Jehovah Shammah. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die, Jehovah Nissi. And then out of that, Gideon believed, and he believed God before the battle even was fought. And he built an altar to God, and he experienced Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is his peace. Now, we assume that we can only have inner peace when our outer circumstances are favorable. And, we, and this is where we fight for control. We try and rearrange the chess pieces so everything around us is in order and tidy and peaceful. And then we have inner peace. No, we just have exhaustion. What happens is God brings you through the battle with inner peace. Psalm 23, he sets a table for me in the midst of my enemies. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. John 14, verse 27. No matter how inadequate you feel today, remember these words. John 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Our job, your job, is to take heart. I would have lost heart had I not believed. King David, take heart. Do not lose hope because yet, I love that word yet. It's just so filled with, with anticipation and expectation. Yet. Yet there will be. Yet there can be. It hasn't happened yet, but it will. Yet, yes, even today, you can encounter Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. You can walk confidently with Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who will prevail. And this specifically for someone online this morning, you can encounter Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is your peace. Hold on to that. Declare to yourselves, yet, yes, even today, there is life, there is hope, and there is purpose. And I will trust Christ the overcomer, Christ the present, Jehovah Shema. Christ the prevailer, Jehovah Nisi. Christ my peace, Jehovah Shalom. And I will trust him to handle the circumstances for me. You do not 
need to live compressed and constrained by hopelessness and futurelessness because God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He has a hope and a future that is filled with good plans for each and every one of you. And if you are here now and you don't believe that, you got some homework. (laughs) It applies not only to the Lord of the Old Covenant, It applies not only to Jesus in the new covenant, but it applies to you today. His name is Emmanuel. God is with us. It means that at all times, in all places, under all circumstances, for all of us, yet, yes, even today, He is available and He is present. I'm so excited about this. I want to preach for another hour. But that's the end of my notes. Thank you, Jesus, someone says. (laughs) Just in these closing moments, uh, Rebecca, Rebecca, could you come and do what you do so well on the piano, please? As I was putting these together, and um, if if you're joining us online, then don't, don't switch off, don't disconnect, because we're going to wrap this up now. Because right where you are, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Right where you are, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord will prevail for you in your battles. And right where you are, Jehovah Shalom, the peace of God can be in your lounge, it can be in your car, it can, wherever you are joining us from today, whatever nation or city you're joining us from today. Whether you're in a home here in Marlborough, you're in another city around New Zealand or another country somewhere else in the world, you are here today because God wants you to know that He is your God. If you will allow Him, if you will allow Him, He will be present. He will prevail and He will give you His peace.